from Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, this is the KCYX newscast for Friday, August 5th. I'm Victor Palomino, and on today's newscast, Sarah Wright has a report on Power Valley Hydropower Plan, followed by a bilingual interview with La Familia, a group of young entrepreneurs, and we end with Stacy Sheldon and the Ukiah Observatory Park. It's Friday, and this is the KCYX newscast. From Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, this is Sarah Reith with the extended Friday night newscast. Federal regulators handed down several major decisions about the Potter Valley Hydropower Project last month. FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, approved PG&E's request to reduce the flow of Eel River water into the east branch of the Russian River from 75 cubic feet per second to 5 cubic feet per second. The reduction is supposed to preserve cold water at the bottom of Lake Pillsbury, the reservoir behind Scott Dam in Lake County, so that releases from the bottom of the lake don't heat up the river and kill young fish. FERC also issued a decision on a request for a rehearing about the project's compliance with the Endangered Species Act. A coalition of environmental and wildlife conservationists and fishermen had requested a new set of protective measures, saying that the project kills more fish than its license allows. They argued that the biological opinion and the set of mitigations that were placed on the license 20 years ago expired, along with the project's license in April. The project is now operating under an annual license, which FERC says it had to grant. FERC wrote that it doesn't think a new consultation under the Endangered Species Act is appropriate, but it did declare that PG&E will have to pay for studies of fish escapements into the Eel River and water temperatures in Lake Pillsbury. PG&E submitted a 30-month schedule to produce a plan to decommission the Potter Valley project last month, which FERC approved. For more about fish, we checked in with Joshua Fuller, the lead fisheries biologist for the National Marine Fisheries Service, who's been working on the Potter Valley project for about 10 years. Is it too late? You know, in your opinion, are the cold water pools sufficient to last through the summer? It's a little later than we like to have seen, but I think it's coming at just the nick of time. I'm hopeful. Uh, we really were targeting uh, a 30,000 acre foot uh, threshold for Lake Hillsbury. Uh, we are still above that. I think we're around 44,000 plus right now. Um, and given the projections for a target at, at September 15th, where we want to stay above that, that 30,000 acre foot, we're on course to do that. So as we sit today, uh, we are at 18.9 C the water temperature coming out of Lake Pillsbury, and, and that is still very good for juvenile salmonids that are rearing below Lake Pillsbury. And another thing that we read a lot about in the, actually both FERC decisions that came out last week about approving the variants and their opinion on the rehearing that the conservation organizations were requesting, they said, you know, we don't really think it's appropriate to have a consultation under the Endangered Species Act for these salmonids, but we consulted with NIMPS, National Marine Fisheries Service, and they agree that this variance with these three requirements to do really detailed studies of fish in the Eel River and water temperatures in Lake Pillsbury, they said that, that you basically signed off on that. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. Um, in, in years past, um, you know, the approach we've taken, and particularly this year, is that, you know, our listed stocks, uh, primarily associated with Power Valley Project, are on the Eel River, and, and we're talking uh, Chinook salmon, steelhead, and, and coho. Uh, we certainly have a lot of authority and responsibility over listed fish in the Russian River. But in terms of project operations, uh, specifically 
and and you know the direct impact of these species it's um it's the eel river uh fish first and then uh, balancing um the storage demands on on the russian river side so with that the rpa the current rpa which actually in NIMS's mind has that biop has now expired and, and there's a, a lot of tr paper traffic going on 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 that debate um that in the eyes and dims uh, that biop has now expired um but with that you know we didn't have um a lot of, of suggestions regarding the actual in-stream flows for, for rearing fish we've, we've really targeted temperatures so we have not changed uh, the prescribed flows uh, in the RPA for for summer flows for for eel river fish right now so if we were to change that per se then uh, ESA consultation would be required but we still are comfortable um, with those flows, uh, the major uh, adjustment and the things that we need to improve on actually maintaining those temperatures. And, and that gets back to reservoir elevations in the cold water pool. That's, that's the area that, that needs a lot of improvement. So in terms of ESA consultation, we are holding right now uh, with river uh, in-stream flows, but the diversion rate is, is really what got adjusted greatly and that was the cut down to, to five CFS uh, for a few months now. Obviously, diversion rate has followed the RPA and has been very high flows uh, given the circumstances. Um, not the most appropriate at this time, uh, but NIMS does not have listed fish within the East Branch Russian River in between, you know, the, the powerhouse on the Russian River side down to Lake Mendocino. Uh, that, that's obviously no anagemous fish are in that area. And so, that area is, is not needing any um, take authorization from NIMS in that specific area. Once you get below Lake Mendocino into the Russian River, that's a different story. So that is why we've seen for years now that the one major knob to turn is uh, quote unquote the environmental flows on the East Branch Russian River. And that's what has been reduced down to five CFS to conserve water in Lake Pillsbury and to ensure adequate flows for, for ESA listed fish in the Eel River. You know, I think NIMS has made it very clear that we're trying to maintain temperatures at least through mid-September. And, and the mid-September target is typically when we see seasonal patterns change, the days get shorter, things start to cool down. So it sounds like the five CFS is definitely in effect until mid-September. And then if things cool off, and it looks like the water temperatures will be cool, then, then you'll consider increasing them. Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's, it's our, our, our baseline strategy right now. And there may be some nuances there. We'll see how September goes. We're just gonna have to, to play. And so every two weeks, we're gonna have briefing and updates on, on what the conditions are for, for fisheries and storage. And um, we'll make our adjustments. Uh, and this is exactly how we've done it uh, for years now. You referenced the biop, the biological opinion, which was basically the, the list of mitigations for anadromous fish that were placed on the license for the project, which is now expired. Can you go into a little bit more detail about that biological opinion? So, so the biop really evaluated a 20 year period from back, you know, early 2000s until um, now. And, and the license obviously expired in, in April. In the FERC process, there's actually an, an annual license process. Now, there's a lot of language in the biop that talks about 
20-year duration and the assessment to um, fisheries and the impacts associated with all that. And so the way we look at it is like, okay, where is the project at? How is it performing? Do we support annual licenses or, you know, do things need to, to adjust? And, and unfortunately, the project has not performed to, to how we thought over the last 20 years. Productivity for, for steelhead uh, particularly has, has actually declined and, and Chinook salmon um, as well overall. And so in terms of our, our goal, um, our responsibility uh, as a federal agency, uh, and trust resources, um, we're really looking at that recovery trajectory and, and ensuring that we're not precluding recovery. And uh, we're not seeing uh, enough signs that we're actually on that trajectory. It sounds like you're prepared for this, for Lake Pillsbury and Scott Dam to be in place for a few years. Well, I think that the reality is, is this process is, is going to take some time to actually get decommissioning. And uh, the unfortunate news is that fisheries need help now to stabilize the situation. Eight out of 10 years, again, with variances outside the RPA, whatnot, things are very unstable uh, at the project. And we need to provide that stability for fisheries and for water users. It's been the same theme, not only this year, but for, for many years on what we think we need to, to better manage this project in the short term. You're listening to the KCYX Newscast. I'm Victor Palomino, and the following is a bilingual conversation with La Familia. I am Adrian Mata. I am the creator of La Familia Market as well as the owner of Vago Hat. La Familia Market is a, is a committee of several small businesses in town. We all started very small and we came together to create a Latino, not, not doesn't necessarily need to be Latino, but right now, as of right now, it is Latino-based market for small businesses to sell items, sell jewelry, sell clothing, sell hats. I was like, for example, me, food, snacks, whatever their passion is, and create funds to be able to give out a scholarship at the end of the, the school year for someone to either go to college or start their own business just like us or anything like that. Me llamo Adrián Mata. Soy el organizador, el creador de La Familia Market. La Familia Familia Market, en, en palabras bien simples, son un mercado, no necesariamente de latinos, un mercado de negocios chiquitos, creado que, que todos empiezan aquí de Yucaya, un pueblo chiquitos alrededor de Yucaya. Hay de, hay de mucho, hay personas vendiendo helado, hay personas vendiendo aretitos que hacen de joyas, algo así. Yo, por ejemplo, tengo un negocio chiquito de gorras que ando vendiendo allí, varios, varios más. Y lo que estamos haciendo es creando un mercado para alimentar fondos para una beca estudiantil al finales del año. Quizás unas varias, depende de lo que hacemos, pero ojalá una grande para alguien que va saliendo de high school para ayudarles con, con su futuro. Pero, o quizás algo que, que quieren comer, hacer un, un negocio, quizás alguien no, no quiere hacer, ir a la escuela y quiere empezar su negocio, con eso vamos a ayudar. Where did the idea come from? Crazy idea, long, long time ago when I graduated high school. I was signing up for scholarships to be able to go to college. I, that was my goal. I wanted to just go to college, and that was it. I would have conquered the world at that point. I didn't care. And I was signing up for a bunch of a bunch of scholarships, but I didn't necessarily meet the requirements for a lot of them. I was um, either didn't go to a certain school, or I didn't have a certain GPA, or I didn't, you know, X, Y, and Z reasons. And I, um, I thought, okay, 
if there's a if there's me for example that i took ap classes i was an honors kid and i didn't qualify for these um there's got to be something for other people that are just like me so i thought okay let me finish school let me do this this and this and and it's been a, a project for a couple months now but i thought okay let's create something for a kid that maybe wants to go to college maybe wants to start his own business whatever the case may be and um, provide a scholarship for them and why the name la familia i love my family i mean they all grew up here in ukiah I'm, i'm with them every day i see my mom every day my sisters everybody my aunts grandpa both my grandparents live here i love the concept of of having someone to rely on and la familia is a as a group of nine businesses locally here in town we're all good at different things i'm good at sales that's what i went to college for sales communication marketing there's other people for pictures there's someone there for the business aspect there's someone there for anything so we're all just a good community for people that are similar to us and that's where the the, the thing came from we're, we're just a big family that likes to help people just like your family at home does you know so that's where it came from de donde viene el nombre de la familia familia market pues Yo saliendo del colegio a, apliqué por muchas becas. Yo fui a, a gracias a Dios a estudiar en, en St. Mary's College de California. Me dieron una beca bien grande para poder estudiar y, y con, con la ayuda del básquetbol también me dieron mucho dinero. Yo, es, una, es una universidad bien chiquita, de, de 20, 30 estudiantes en un cuarto pues estudiando, no tanto como los estadios de, de Berkeley, algo así pues. Y, y me gustó mucho la comunidad. Me gustó mucho que chiquito estaba y yo dije, ay, pues la familia es como alguien que, que, que cuando escuchas esto tienes confianza en ellos. Le puedes ir con, con ideas. Si tú estás creando algo chiquito, un negocio y ocupas ayuda, la familia está allí. Pues así como, como la mía, me encanta andar con mi familia aquí en Yucaya. Toda mi familia vive aquí y yo cuando tengo problemas, yo le voy a, a mi familia. Entonces nosotros somos la familia para negocios chiquitos, pues. Es lo que está más cerca, es el grupo. Todos sabemos cómo es batallar con con ven, con ventas con con producir videos con con esto y yo pues gracias a Dios yo tengo mucha ayuda con estos compañeros y y nos va súper bien y y si alguien tiene cualquier problema puede escribir a la familia entonces pues ahí, ahí viene el nombre o sea que no es solamente un mercado también es una comunidad exactamente sí uh-huh. and this is a group mostly of like young entrepreneurs yes yes we have a very young group I think the the ages go from about 19 to about 30 i believe young pretty young people yeah. that are that are starting their small business maybe some more more advanced than others but um we have a lot of of good people in this committee as far as you know for example me i handle a lot of the sales there's a lot of people that you know take great pictures that that can help with picture with, with stuff like that and and luckily one of our youngest actually has her own storefront here in downtown Yukai called Bonita Boutique she's been helping a lot of us with how leasing works and stuff like that so we're all just learning from each other yeah. and um, providing like a, a, a familia atmosphere to to small businesses here in Yukai ¿Qué edades son más o menos las, las personas um, que están participando? Muy jóvenes yo pienso que el, el más joven que, que están en nuestro comité de, de la familia son tiene 19 que la bonita boutique creo que tiene 19 o 20 creo y pues ella ya tiene su, su storefront su, su área de vender aquí en downtown y pues es una es, es exitoso pues yeah, para alguien que joven. Tan, tan joven pues this is going to be the first one of how many do you want to do i'm going to say 10 i think i might be shooting for the stars with it but 
hey, if I if it's on record, I can't I can't go back on my word. I want to do ten, and what we're gonna do is basically accumulate the booth fees of every person that that joins the the familia market, and we're gonna be able to give out a scholarship to to someone from our community. So, este va a ser el primero de cuántos quieren hacer este año. Yo quiero ser yo voy a, a decir 10 ahorita para que, pa que me anime más y todos los compañeros también escuchen porque yo quiero ser 10 y ojalá para los finales del año vamos a tener como unos 10 mil dólares para regalar. So it's going to be August 12th. What is it going to be? It's going to be August 12th at 2651 North State Street in Ukiah. It's close to where the fire department is near the Mendocino College. Um, it's an outdoor event. It'll be on Friday. I know a lot of people work and stuff, so we want to do something for, you know, right when the weekend starts, come and hang out and, and just enjoy the, the La Familia atmosphere. ¿Cuándo va a ser el mercado? El mercado es el agosto 12. Va a ser un viernes en la noche porque ya sabemos que mucha gente trabaja entonces, y, y está muy caliente ahorita en Yucaya. Entonces quisimos hacer algo ya en la tardecita. El viernes está en el, el 2650 North State Street en Yucaya, cerca de la Harley Davidson que, que está cerca del colegio por ahí. ¿Dónde pueden encontrar las personas información? En la familia Market 1 en Instagram. And if you have any questions or you want to be, hey, you have a small business or, or how to support or how to donate if you really want to, um, the best way for us right now is um, the Instagram page, La Familia Market 1. Next on the newscast, Stacy Sheldon and the Ukiah Observatory Park. From Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, this is the KZYX News. I'm Stacy Sheldon. Ukiah's historic Longitude Observatory Park will soon open an educational center to showcase the legacy of scientific research amassed at this international observatory. The creation of the Interpretive Center stems from a partnership between the Grace Hudson Museum and the city of Ukiah. Alyssa Bogue, museum curator, sat down with KZYX to tell us about the project she and observatory caretaker Martin Bradley have been working on. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of this site? Yeah, so the historic observatory here was built in 1899 and it lasted until 1982. And it was part of this international scientific effort to better understand the wobbly of the Earth. So the Earth wobbles a little bit every day in this kind of a regular fashion. And scientists wanted to understand what the wobble looked like and kind of get a better sense of what was going on. And so they set these observatories up around the world to look at the same set of stars each night so that they could measure this wobble. The six international latitude observatories are all located near the 39th parallel north. The alignment of all six stations along this parallel helped the observatories to perform uniform data analysis. The observatories are located in Gaithsburg, Maryland, Cincinnati, Ohio, Mizusawa, Japan, Chajuju, Turkmenistan, Carforte, Italy, and Ukiah, California. Why was the study of the Earth's wobble important? That wobble is called the Chandler wobble, and it's useful to know about it in things like developing GPS, or if you're going to do deep space travel, you really need to know those small, minute movements. And the Chandler wobble itself is not actually very large at all. It's about kind of the length of observatory park itself. So it's, it's not a huge wobble at all, but that's what the observatory was all about, 
and there were several different observers who who lived here um, sometimes just for a few years but sometimes for decades and it was their nightly job to go out and observe along with all the other observers around the world. Martin Bradley, caretaker of Ukiah's observatory since 1982, details the geodetic studies of the observers. The observers, they came out in the afternoon to open the roof of the observatory up. And then they would, that was to make sure the temperature was correct inside and outside the same so the instrument was precise. They would align the telescope with a marker to the north of the observatory to make sure that the telescope was level. And then they would proceed with their uh, observations for the night. So the roof was open. They had a set of stars, two sets of stars, twice a night, where they would point the telescope to where that star would be at a certain time and note when it passed that point, the meridian. And then they would turn the telescope around and observe a star to the south and make sure or find out if it passed the meridian at the same at the time it was supposed to. So they did these measurements north and south twice a night with different stars, and they kept records of that. They sent the records once a month to the headquarters, which could have been in Germany or Japan, where the other observatories were. And uh, from that, they developed a, a chart, a plot of how the Earth was wobbling or the deviation it would have in its rotation. From reading letters written by the observers, Bogue came across interesting anecdotes. One of the observers went on his honeymoon and he commented, well, I didn't lose any observing nights because the weather was bad. Or there was another one who, he lost his horse, so he lost an observing night. He, he got it back. But So there are fun stories like that, or one of the, the scientists from Japan would come to visit. So there are all sorts of kind of interesting documents that we have. What became of the observers and the observatories? Bradley explains. So in 1982, the observatory was decommissioned, as were all the observatories, because new technology made it easier to automate this and to use radio telescopes to determine the motion of the Earth. And it became surplus property by the government, and it, it was announced in the Federal Register, and the city seized on it as a possible park and as a historic monument for Ukiah. In 1982, the city of Ukiah purchased the observatory. A group of volunteers called Friends of the Observatory organized public events on the site, hosting stargazing and educational programs for the community before COVID shut down the world. All of the work that we're doing here is kind of built on the shoulders of the Friends of Observatory Park and the work that Martin Bradley has done. You know, they've been applying for grants for things like landscaping, getting the historic telescope and the clock on loan from NOAA, getting grants for different educational programs and things like that. So it really is a culmination of lots of work over the decades. Last year, the Grace Hudson Museum collaborated with the city to relaunch the Interpretive Center in the observatory's office. Bogue shares details about the installation. So I've been working along with Martin Bradley on a project to create new interpretive displays for Ukiah's Historic Latitude Observatory. And most of those displays will be in the observer's office where we have nice climate controls so we can have our original historic telescope and clock here along with some historic documents that we'll be bringing in. 
And then we'll also have some displays in the original historic observatory as well that'll kind of show what the space would have looked like and invite participants to come in and kind of imagine that they're observer and follow their observing routine and what they would have done. So hopefully we'll have a lot of kind of interactive elements that'll be great for families to kind of explain the history of the site. The grand opening of the exhibit is slated for August 12th. We'll have a ribbon cutting at first at 630 and then the observatory and office will be open for people to to explore along with all the other activities until 9 p.m. We'll have the exhibits open. We'll have Tim back here with the Mendocino College. We'll have Elizabeth Garcia who's a NASA ambassador have this inflatable planetarium that you can go in. The Historical Society will be here as well. The night will conclude with a showing of the film Wally. It should be a, a nice, fun event. For KZYX News, I'm Stacy Sheldon. KZYX News team includes Sarah Wright, Alicia Bales, Stacy Sheldon, Ailet Sasueta, and Victor Palomino. For questions, feedbacks, story suggestions, and more, please email us at news at kcyx.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For our local stories, with photos, and more, visit kcyx.org. You can also subscribe to KCYX News Podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Mm-hmm.